and learn from you. Holy Spirit, do your work. We thank you that you are the great teacher. You are the comforter. Right now, for those in need of comfort, Holy Spirit, you work on their hearts. You impart peace that passes understanding, that guards their hearts and minds. You open up wisdom and revelation right now. You give direction, whatever is needed. You know my heart, you know their hearts. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're working with each one of us. Right now, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, if you got your Bibles with me, why don't you go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 17. I'd like to start there with a story of Jesus before we get back to where we left off last week. Matthew chapter 17. And verse 14, we'll pick it up. It says, And now when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic, and he's very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And so this is how Matthew starts the story. A person comes to him, and he says he, he's a crazy person, and he's very ill, and he falls into the fire and the water. And, you know, the great thing about the, the Gospels is we get different perspectives about the same story from different directions. And we, so Matthew, he is writing to um, a Jewish believer. And so I found that Matthew doesn't really cover a lot of the details. He doesn't really get, provoke a lot of sympathy or empathy into the story because I think he's speaking to religious people. And one of the greatest, like, travesties that has to do with religious people is they no longer have a heart to care about other people. And so he doesn't even bring in the real details of this story. But I like that we can look at, like, Mark, who was writing to a, a Roman audience. And Mark we call the action gospel because he likes the details. He likes the gore. He likes, like, the details that everybody else would leave out. And so here Mark says the, the person was an epileptic, not a lunatic. And he says this. He says, whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground. He foams out the mouth. He grinds his teeth. He stiffens out. And he says, and I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. So that gives us a completely different picture than just a, a man saying, I, I've got a sick son. Could you help me? He's a, he's a little bit crazy and a little bit ill. No, Mark's like, he gives you the details. He lets you know. He smacks them off the ground. He foams at them. And it really gives you a picture of the hold that the enemy had taken in this child's life. And it's not a father just saying, oh, I'd like you to cure him. This is a father whose heart is broken. He doesn't want to see his son this way. He wants him to be free. And I think that paints a picture of our God, our father, how much his hearts yearn for us, that I want to see them broken free from every chain and every bondage and every type of thought process that would hinder them from walking in the fullness that I have for them. God's heart is for you. Man, God is such a loving God, and if you'll put your life in his hands, he will mold you, he'll make you, he'll pull out what is unnecessary, he'll build up what is important, he'll tell you what to think about, where to go, how to do it, and he'll walk with you every step of the day because his heart is for you. And so Mark had just such a more depth about this story. And so he says, I brought him. Back to Matthew, he says, I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And 
we have to think about the context of this story. Jesus has already sent out his 12 disciples. He's already given them power to heal the sick and to cast out demons. He's already sent out the 72 by 2 and given them the same thing. He already said, I give you power over all of the works of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But yet, a few chapters later, we find them unable to do something about a situation that they've already conquered in other people in the past. And so there's something going on within this story which will help us. Because how many of you have had great victories in God in the past? But then you've come up against something else and it seems like, I just can't get over it. I just can't get around it. Well, God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as he was with you in the past, he'll be with you again. And as he's been with one, he'll be with another because he's no respecter of persons. He loves us all deeply and unendingly. His hopes are fadeless and under all circumstances. So what changed? It wasn't God. He has no shadow of turning. It says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights and whom never changes. It, it says another place in the Bible that he doesn't change so that therefore you're not consumed. And what does that mean? It means that you're not like, how is God today? What side of the bed did he wake up? Is he going to be mad? Is he going to be happy? And if you listen to a lot of religion, you get that idea. What God am I dealing with? The happy God of the New Testament or the angry God of the Old Testament? Is it the God who wants to test me and try me? Or is it the God who wants to bless me and increase me? Which one am I dealing with? He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change, but how we view him and how we approach him does. And so here, the disciples have found themselves in a situation where they have done it in the past, but seem powerless to do it now. And so Jesus answers to them, and he says, you unbelieving and perverted generation. This is to his followers. This is not to the crowd. And sometimes the closer you get to God, the more strongly he'll speak to you. He always does it in love, and he always has a purpose to build you up, but sometimes he speaks a little more strongly. And he says, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Now, I read this out of the New American Standard Bible this morning because I like the way that it says unbelieving. Because the King James and the New King James says faithless generation. But that's not the tra right translation. It's not that they had no faith. It's they were using no faith. The word that is used there is apistis, which means unbelieving or without trust in God. So here is the picture into this situation. Their trust when trying to cast out that demon out of that boy was not in God. And if it wasn't in God, where was it? And most of us would say, well, maybe it's in the power that the, they saw how the extreme the enemy had this boy, threw him in the fire, he foamed, he grinded, he hit the ground stiff as a board. No. A lot of times we don't even think about the power of the enemy. But do you know where we do think a lot about? Our power. Our strength. And if you trust in yourself, you are responsible for the results. If you trust in God, 
he takes responsibility. He never asked you to make something happen. He said, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. He says, if any man lay hand or speak to the devil, he'll come out in Jesus' name. In his power. And so the picture that we're seeing here is when they went out the first time, they were having to fully rely on what Jesus said. Because they'd never healed a sick person. They'd never cast out a demon. But now down the road, after they've done it a few times, it's easy to take the shift off of God and put it on yourself. The power is not supposed to be on your shoulders. And in the overall theme of this series that we're doing of the believer's authority, it is delegated power and authority. It's his power, which means it all starts from him and ends with him. And if we try to put ourselves in the starting position, there is no proper ending position. And so he says to them, he said, you unbelieving and perverted generation. He wasn't calling them pedophiles. He's not saying, oh, you guys are, are, are sexual deviants. He said it meant to distort or to turn aside from the right path. And so he's saying, your trust is not in me, and you've turned from the right path. What is the right path? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, which means that any path that isn't his is not the right path. And the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord, not of the righteous man. They're ordered of the Lord. He says that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. You're not the light. You're just the feet that walks the path that the word illuminates. And so in this situation, they couldn't do something because their focus was on themselves and not on God. And so if you feel like you're powerless in the situation you're currently in, that's okay. You're not the one that's supposed to have the power. You're the one that's supposed to take his and overcome. And so when we begin to take on the burden say, how am I going to do this? How am I going to make provision happen when it feels like I've, I, I'm in lack and I'm broke, I've got nothing? You weren't supposed to make something happen. You are the one that is obedient when he speaks, you do it. Yes. When he says, go here, you go here. Yes. When he says, do this, you do that. When he says, come, you come. Isn't that the, the way the centurion viewed authority? I say to my servant, because he was one under authority, and you are the servant, and you are also under authority. And so our outcome of victory and overcoming is not built upon our ability to make it happen. And so in this situation with the disciples, their eyes are on themselves. And so Jesus says, bring him here to me. He's like, guys, I don't have time to put up with you. We'll, we'll talk in a minute. Bring the boy here. And that's so great. Because Jesus could have kept his focus chewing out the disciples tell, and correcting them and teaching them right there in that moment. But God's heart always goes to the need to bring freedom. And so Jesus, they bring him to him, and Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out, and the boy was cured at once. And once again, this is Matthew just like giving you the bare minimum of details. Mark says, when he spoke to it, it says, after crying out, throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy came so much like a corpse that they said, he's dead. <laughs> 
And sometimes when you get into situations and you speak to them in the name of Jesus, it's like you see the reaction that happens and you're like, oh no, it seems like I made things worse. You know, at least a second ago he was convulsing and foaming and grinding. Now he's dead, you know. And so sometimes when you step out in faith and you speak as God has told you to speak and you speak in line with the word, it almost seems like things get worse and you're like, God, what's going on? This is not what I was expecting. It's because you, you weren't expecting his results. You were looking at, oh, I want to see something. I want to make something happen. And you're, you're not responsible for how it goes through to the end. You're responsible to say, come out in the name of Jesus. Or doors open in the name of Jesus. Or whatever it may be. And so Jesus speaks to this demon-possessed boy, and it looks like something got worse, and now he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand. Raised him up, and he got up. Let the process go through to the end. And I've been saying that a lot the last few weeks. Why? Because sometimes between when we believe and when we speak and when we step out and we act, we see what's in the center and we're like, oh, and we start going back the other direction. Let the process go through to the end. When having done all the stand, stand. Didn't say when having done all the stand, say, oh, I guess somebody else should help me here. Uh, let's, let's get Toph to come in and believe with me. You know, let's do whatever. No, he said when having done all the stand, stand. I love what Jesus did. Right before the cross, he's in the garden, and he brought his three closest disciples to pray with him. And he went and prayed, and he said, Father, if this can pass from me, let it pass, but not my will, your will. And then he went back, you know, I almost think he was looking for some encouragement because the weight of everything, and he comes and he finds his three closest friends sleeping who were supposed to be praying with him. He's like, could you not pray one hour, guys? And he goes back, and he prays the same thing again, and he goes back, and they're sleeping again. And the third time he goes back, and it's such a weight upon him, and he begins to even sweat blood because of the strain and the stress of all the sin and the shame that is coming upon him. And he's got this burden. He's like, God, I don't want to do this, but I will do whatever you want me to do. And then after he prayed that the third prayer, you know what it says? It says that he set his face like flint. Meaning he fixed himself that there's no turning back now. Doesn't matter what comes ahead. Doesn't matter how bad the beating is. Doesn't matter how hard, the, how, how painful the crown of thorns feels. I'm not turning around. I am not going back. We are going to see this through to the end. And you think about, he's being mocked on the cross. And they say, well, surely he can call some angels to come and help him get down. And you got to think that Jesus is hearing them say that while he's in deep pain and agony. And there's a temptation there like, yeah, I could call dozens of legions of angels right now to take me down. But I'm going through the process. And I will come out the other side in the position that God said I would be. And just as Jesus was faithful, he did what he did as a man anointed of the Holy Spirit. Just And there's going to be times where you speak to things and it seems like it got worse. Plant yourself. Say, I'm connected to the vine. I am part of the branches. And there will be great fruit that will be produced in my life. I've not been disconnected. I am with God right now. So, 
Jesus deals with the situation. And then his disciples come to him saying, why couldn't we do it, Jesus? Why couldn't we do this? And Jesus responds to them and says, because of the littleness of your faith. Now, we can take this as him saying, you only had a little bit, you didn't have enough to deal with it. But it's not, it's the same word again. It's because you were without trust in God. And so he says, because of the littleness of your faith, and truly I say to you, if you have the faith of the size of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible. And so Jesus said, you only need a little bit. You know, the mustard seed, they say, is one of the smallest seeds. My wife has a little coin with a mustard seed in the center of it, and it is a tiny little seed. And Jesus said, you only need a little bit to do a lot. Come on, smallest of seeds, it's one of the tiniest of seeds, giant mountain, be removed. And so Jesus is not saying that you need to work up your faith and to make sure that you obtain enough. The little he gave you was enough. It says that he's given you the measure of faith. You have enough faith to believe for whatever you need to in this season. You want to know why? You've already believed for the greatest thing you ever will. And that was Jesus coming into your life. When you step out of darkness and into light, you've already believed for the greatest thing you will ever believe for. Everything else is small potatoes. And so here Jesus is saying, you only need a little bit and it will do a lot. But there's a secondary meaning in here that we often overlook. And that is, what are you supposed to do with a seed? You plant it, and you use it, and you let it grow. And so the faith that has been given to you by Jesus, it's not even your faith. It says that the life that we live, we live by the faith of the Son of God. That's what Paul said to the Galatians. The faith that you have is not even your own, but you're supposed to do something with it. You take that seed, you plant it, you use it, you let it grow. And what happens is the more you stand, step out in faith, the more it's like, man, you get a confidence. Right? Wow, he was with me in that way. What about in this way? And it gives you a little bit more perspective to step out and be like, okay, if he's still with me the same way today and I still have the same faith, I can keep going. And the more you learn and the more you do and the more you believe, the more it's like, wow, I watched that sickness come off that body. What about this more difficult sickness? Because you've got to realize the degree of difficulty is only how you see it. Sickness is sickness to Jesus. He put it all on his back. Big or small, he took it all. Every grief, every pain, every sin, every shame, he took it all. But what happens as we step out and we use our faith is our confidence and our perspectives begin to change. We put that seed in the ground, and what happens, Jesus says in another point, you plant that little mustard seed and it becomes one of the great biggest trees for birds to sit in. It becomes a home to sustain others. When our faith is developed and we use it, we then begin to take another and be like, hey, you, wanna, you know, you can do this. You can believe. You're going over. You're not going under. We're not going to be shaken. We're not going to be moved. And so that's when it becomes a perspective of it's not just about us. 
the more we allow ourselves to be used by God and develop what he's given, he helps you use others, build others up and lift them up. You know, Paul, I believe it's Paul, but the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. So there's a promise of rest that you can step in, but Paul says, let, let us be aware. Let us have our minds open so that we don't come short of it. And he says, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard didn't profit them or didn't produce because it wasn't mixed with faith in those who heard it. So what did I say three weeks ago? There's a difference between hearing the word and saying, that sounds great, and saying, I believe it, let's do it. It is so. And that's the difference between hearing something and going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and hearing something and going, yes, that is what I am. Even when we look at, we were, a few weeks ago, we were looking at Abraham, it says he didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief or putting his same word putting his trust in something else but he was strengthened in faith giving glory to god so jesus said you couldn't do it because of the littleness or your lack of trust in me the littleness of your faith for truly if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed you'll say to the mountain move from here and it will move and nothing will be impossible but then jesus says this in the next verse but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And I've heard a lot of different messages about, about this verse saying, you know, uh, you, know you, have to, you have to be so consecrated to God and you have to, you know, let your flesh be pushed down and all, all these different things. But you know, you know what prayer and fasting does? It magnifies your perception of Jesus. It magnifies your perception of God. When you pray and you walk away with your focus on you, you weren't praying in the right way. But when you pray and you come before God and you come out of there with a realization of, oh my goodness, I serve the greatest God in all of the universe. He created everything that we see. Now you know you've been praying in the right direction. Now you know you've been fellowshipping in the right word because when you come before God, you can't help but stand in awe of his glory and of his splendor. And you can, if you come out of out from your time of prayer and you're not going, hey, I can take this world, man, you go back and get on your knees again and understand who it is you were just before. And so he says to them, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting, meaning your eyes have been looking at everything else. We knew that he said their faith was pushed in the wrong direction, their trust was looking else, but when you get before God in prayer, it shifts you back to the one in whom life flows. And so the solution to when it seems like you just can't seem to get over what it is, something you've got through in the past, but now it seems like a big wall and a big hindrance, go back to the table of God. Stir up your hunger. Get before him in prayer and remind yourself, great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. You're merciful and righteous in all your ways. You are high and lifted up. You are the God who's more than enough. Sing songs like that in your times of worship, times of prayer, and build up your perspective of great God. Yeah. So, 
Philemon 1.6 is where we've been for the last three. This now is week number three. It says that the participation of your faith becomes active by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. By the acknowledgement of every good thing that is already in you in Christ Jesus. In you. In you. In you. In you. Say it with me. In me. Every good thing already in me. As we acknowledge what's already in us, faith becomes active. And we begin to participate. When we acknowledge what's already in us, Jesus is in us. And so when we think about the progression of this participation, active, and acknowledgement, you really need to read this verse in in reverse. And when I acknowledge who and what is in me, my faith becomes active, and I participate. And because it's easy to put the focus on, i got to do something, i got to participate, i got to make this happen. But that's not how the progression of faith works. When you get before God... You can't help but want to participate. You can't help but want to be active with him because you've been acknowledging who he is, what he is, what he said, and what is now possible to you. And so when we put the focus like the disciples on how do I do this, that's when our trust gets off of God. And so when we read this verse in backwards, when you think about God, participate with God, feed on the word of God, pray and worship, faith just goes, and you're like, let's do this! Come on! You can't help but want to get involved. And so the last word, we, first week we spent looking at participation. Last week we were looking about being active or effective, or the word is energous. But this last word, acknowledge, what does it mean? Well, it's the word epionosis, which means precise and correct Knowledge, or we could say information, precise and correct information, which that seems a little different. Why did they translate the word acknowledge? Those seem like two different things. One is information, and the other is an acknowledgement. Those are two different things. Why would they translate it acknowledgement? Well, when you have precise and correct information, it changes how you engage with things. Okay, you're sitting at your computer this afternoon, and bing, your email box goes off, and you look down, and it's like you don't recognize the person who sent it. You click on it, and it says, hello, kind fellow. I am a Nigerian prince. And I have $50,000 in which I would like to move into Canada, but I need your help because the government is holding my money up. If you could send me so much, wire me so much money, I will make sure that you get X amount of money. And immediately, as I've been saying this, you've probably already gone through the process and say, scam, 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 scam. Right? Why? Because we have information that we know that's how everybody's probably heard of the Nigerian prince scam. And so by having precise and accurate information, it led you to reject a false premise. So if it will lead you to reject a false premise, when you have precise and correct information, 
it will lead you to engage and acknowledge with what is true. It's your birthday. You get a ding on your phone and you look at it and it's an e-transfer from your grandmother. Happy birthday, dear. Here's $100. Do you accept that one? Why? Because you know dear old granny. You know she loves you. You know she loves to send you a gift on your birthday. You have no problem opening that email and acknowledging grandma sent you money, depositing it into your account. You probably send her a message or open up your phone and give her a call and say, Grandma, thanks for the gift. I appreciate you thinking of me on my birthday. What did you do? You engaged with and acknowledged and accepted because you knew what was true and precise. And so to the level in which you have understood God, it will limit what you're willing to receive from him. If you know him just a little, you'll keep him in a small box. But that's why the word of God is so amazing. It reveals his character. It reveals his nature. It reveals his heart for you that as you know it, and then the enemy starts going, meh, 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 in your ear, you go, no, my God said this. You can't do this. Oh, I can, because my God said I could. It changes how you interact with what is true and what is not true. And so that's why they did it as an acknowledge. It means precise and correct information, allowing you to make a proper response, a true response. And so with last week's word, energist, being active or effective, it was only used three times in the New Testament. Whereas Paul used this word, epionosis, several times in his writings. And he liked to use it quite a bit in his prayers. And so if we go back to where we were eight weeks ago, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation into the precise and correct knowledge of him. When the Holy Spirit works with you as you feed upon the word or as you come before him in prayer, wisdom and revelation will flow and reveal to you what is correct and precise. And that's just what we've already said. But Paul tells us what happens when you engage with what is correct and precise. He says the eyes of your understanding are enlightened, that you know what is the hope of your calling. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? The next verse goes on to say, And that you'll know the power, the exceeding greatness of his power that is towards you who believe. And so as we engage with precise and correct information about God, our eyes go, boom, why would I ever want to look at that old garbage when I can look at the light of God's glory? Why would I ever want to dwell on what is, what is negative, what is fearful, what is wanting to tear me down when I can think on what is true, what is lovely, whatever is good report? Because that will build me up, that will strengthen me. My eyes will be opened and be drawn to what is right so that I know what is the hope of my calling. 
or the confident expectation of the good things that he's called me to? Or what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance? Man, when you're with God, you begin to understand, he's my daddy God. He is the one who takes care of me. He is my provider. He will always be there to have my back. How could I ever think that I'm going under? How could I ever think that I'm going broke? I've got an inheritance because I'm a joint heir together with Christ. Don't even get me started on the next verse about the power that flows to you and through you and for you. Come on. So when precise and correct information comes to you and is revealed to you by the Holy Spirit and through the word, man, your eyes just go bing, ding, 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 ding. Come on, you ever you ever been to been to a casino? I've been to Vegas, and you know, man, when when somebody hits those things and the numbers hit, it's like bing! You hear the, the coins all falling? Man, that's like you every day with God. How can you not have a windfall of goodness and grace and mercy when God, man, he's rigged the machine so that everyone is a winner on your behalf? Come on. Where else did Paul use this word, epionosis? In a couple chapters over, in chapter 4, verse 11, he says, And he himself has gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, and we call these the five-fold giftings. These are the ones that God has put into the body to be instructors and teachers and to raise people up. And it says that they're there for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so the five-fold ministry is not in the body of Christ to do all the work. It's to raise us all up to do the work. We are all called to a position and a place. But Paul says that they'll equip the saints, they'll edify or build up the body of Christ, and it says, till we all, say, that's me. That's me. It said, we all, not some, we all come to the unity of the faith and of the precise and correct information or knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. Precise and correct information about Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit will perfect you and grow you and change you. And I love that last line, to the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. The goal is not better, the goal is Jesus. And so some of us say, well, I'm better than I was yesterday. And we're like, thank God for that. Keep going. <laughs> so that's just three times that Paul used this word for that we is interpreted acknowledgement, precise or correct information. It was that you would acknowledge every good thing that is in you in Christ, that you would come to the knowledge of him, and that you would be flooded with the knowledge of the Son of God. And so all of these focus, what is the precise and correct information that we're supposed to be searching after and receiving? It's information about God. Yeah. And I really think that we should probably take a break from this Believer's Authority series and go take a reminder of the character and the nature of God. Because as we look at who he is and what he said, I believe that'll give us all the next step to be able to move forward. You up for that? Yes. Some character in nature? Yes. Let's do that next week. And so Paul says, even in his preaching, his focus should always be on God. 
And you can really tell the level of your maturity if your focus of every aspect of your life is always about you, you're probably not looking in the right direction. Because even Paul in his preaching, he's like, we've got to make it about God. And so he, he was preaching to the Athenians, and he says, I've come to proclaim to you God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is Lord and the, of heaven and of earth, and he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. And why was that such a revolutionary thing for him to say to the Athenians? They believed in a pantheon of gods, but none of their gods were all-powerful. They had one god over this aspect, another god over this aspect, and they all had their own individual temples, and they were all separate. And Paul gets up and he says, I'm about to tell you my god who made everything. He's bigger than you. He's bigger than you. He's bigger than you. He covers over them all, and he doesn't sit in those man-made temples. He said he comes to make his home in you. If we're talking about the acknowledging of every good thing in you. That's what's in you, him. And he goes on, he says, he's not to be worshipped with men's hands, meaning he's not looking for sacrifices. He's not looking for you to act something out or work something else. He says, because he doesn't need anything. Since he gives life and breath to all things. Whew, that's some good information. You know, I think we should work on our gratitude that when you open your eyes in the morning, you should be, thank you for life and breath. <laughs> Because there were some people that did not wake up this morning. You should be help, happy about that you're one of the ones in the land of the living this morning. When we say, I don't have anything to be grateful about, Pastor Jordan, look at my life. You've got plenty to be grateful about. You remember how blessed you are to be even born in this nation of Canada. I digress. <laughs> and he says, and he's made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, which is something to think about when, you're, when you start to maybe be established and maybe God's blessed you in certain ways that it looks like you're a pretty powerful person. Be humble. Be humble. And remember, it's through him we live and move and have our being. It says, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him or grab on and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. He's not far from each one of us. If you think about it, if there's a chair empty beside you, he's in it. He's never far. He's right here. acknowledge him or have precise and correct information you can't help but believe you can't help but participate because you've been designed to participate you've been designed to believe you've been designed to overcome the cards are stacked in your favor to Why don't you stand on your feet with me today? Father, we thank you 
for everything that's already on the inside of us. As this morning, we have looked at your word and we've been putting ourselves in remembrance. I love that your word challenges me, God, that it tells me to put you in remembrance. I love that your word of God, it says, try me now and see. I love your word, God, that says, taste and see that I am good. I thank you that it challenges me. It provokes me. It stretches me. It leads me further. And so right now, God, we just take a moment and we want to acknowledge you. We want to acknowledge you. You may say, Pastor Jordan, how do I acknowledge God? Well, how do you acknowledge a person? If I was out on the town right now, maybe we're having having dinner somewhere, and and, and Mitch and Marnie walked, walked into the same restaurant, how do I acknowledge them as natural people? Do I think in my head, oh, there's Mitch and Marnie? No. What do I do? I go, hey, hey, Mitch and Marnie, how are you guys doing? We don't acknowledge God right here. We acknowledge God with here and here. In the same way that I would latch on to Mitch is the same way we latch on to God. In the same way we would talk to Mitch is the same way we just go ahead and acknowledge God. And so if your acknowledgement of God is living right here, that's not acknowledgement. That's thoughts. We acknowledge with our mouths. And so, Father, we worship you right now. Yes, Lord, we give you glory. We give you honor today. Oh, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for all good things, Lord. Hallelujah. This is a good day for me. It's a day where I'm with you, Lord. Hallelujah. And so we just acknowledge your greatness, Lord. We acknowledge all good things that you've given unto us. We acknowledge the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for all that you did, Jesus. We thank you for bearing everything on your back for each one of those stripes. I acknowledge those stripes on your back today, Jesus, and I thank you that they speak healing to me today. Not just on my body, but in my mind. The emotional pains, the scars, I thank you, you lift every burden, Jesus. We go ahead and cast those cares onto you. Hallelujah. And we acknowledge you, Lord. We acknowledge you. Hallelujah. Well, in just a moment, our word care team is going to be right up here at the front. And they would love to pray with you. They'd love to believe with you. They'd love to celebrate with you. If you would love to give your heart to Jesus this morning and you've been watching us online, we encourage you just to go ahead and say, Father, I ask for Jesus. I receive him into my life right now. I turn from everything else. I am a new creation. And I thank you, Lord. If you just prayed that prayer with us, we'd love for you to get in contact with us. 
We'd love to get some good resources into your hands. And if you're in the Smith Falls area, we say welcome home. We'd love to walk this life together with you. Guys, acknowledgement. When you acknowledge who and what he is and what he's done, it takes your eyes off of you, takes your eyes off of the problem, and it allows you to step through into victory. Pastor Robin. We acknowledge our Father God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. We acknowledge that the Son gave himself, was obedient to the death of the cross. Amen? So our heavenly heritage is giving. His givers, they love to give. That's the Father's heart. Just like a natural father would like to give to the, his children. Amen? And so we continue in that vein with our with offering today. If you want to give, you can give online, wordchurch.ca forward slash give and or envelope in the, in the pew and the basket at the back. Amen? Amen. Amen. So continue on in this fellowship of, uh, of giving and uh, blessing because you're blessed to be a blessing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.